last Catechism of the Catholic Church in the year. Today is day 111, and we begin with number 823. The Church is held as a matter of faith to be unfailingly holy. This is because Christ, the Son of God, who with the Father and the Spirit is hailed as alone holy, loved the Church as his bride, giving himself up for her so as to sanctify her. He joined he joined her to himself as his body and endowed her with the gift of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. The church, then, is the holy people of God, and her members are called saints. United with Christ, the church is sanctified by him. Through him and with him, she becomes sanctifying. All the activities of the church are directed as toward their end, to the sanctification of men in Christ and the glorification of God. It is in the church that the fullness of the means of salvation has been deposited. It is in her that by the grace of God we acquire holiness. The church on earth is endowed already with a sanctity that is real, though imperfect. In her members, perfect holiness is something yet to be acquired. Strengthened by so many and such great means of salvation, all the faithful, whatever their condition or state, though each in his own way, are called by the Lord to that perfection of sanctity by which the Father himself is perfect. Charity is the soul of the holiness to which all are called. It governs, shapes, and perfects all the means of sanctification. If the church was a body composed of different members, it couldn't lack the noblest of all. It must have a heart and a heart burning with love. And I realized that this love alone was the true motive force which enabled the other members of the church to act. If it ceased to function, the apostles would forget to preach the gospel. The martyrs would refuse to shed their blood. Love, in fact, is the vocation which includes all others. It's a universe of its own, comprising all time and space. It's eternal. Christ, holy, innocent, and undefiled, knew nothing of sin, but came only to expiate the sins of the people. The church, however, clasping sinners to her bosom, at once holy and always in need of perfection, follows constantly the path of penance and renewal. All members of the church, including her ministers, must acknowledge that they are sinners. In everyone, the weeds of sin will be mixed with the good wheat of the gospel until the end of time. Hence the church gathers sinners already caught up in Christ's salvation, but still on the way to holiness. The church is therefore holy, though having sinners in her midst, because she herself has no other life but the life of grace. If they live her life, her members are sanctified. If they move away from her life, they fall into sins and disorders that prevent the radiation of her sanctity. This is why she suffers and does penance for those offenses, of which she has the power to free her children through the blood of Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit. By canonizing some of the faithful, for example, by solemnly proclaiming that they practiced heroic virtue and lived in fidelity to God's grace, the church recognizes the power of the Holy Spirit, the, the power of the Spirit of holiness within her, and sustains the hope of believers by proposing the saints to them as models and intercessors. The saints have always been the source and origin of renewal in the most difficult moments in the church's history. Indeed, Holiness is the hidden source and infallible measure of her apostolic activity and missionary zeal. But while in the most blessed virgin, the church has already reached that perfection, 
whereby she exists without spot or wrinkle. The faithful still strive to conquer sin and increase in holiness. And so they turn their eyes to Mary. In her, the church is already the all-holy Father. Thanks, Bill. You know, it's an, it's important to see how the church talks about herself, right, in this, in this section on the catechism in terms of her holiness, which although is real, is uh, already with a sanctity that is real, though imperfect. That's from Lumen Gentium, so the Constitution on the Church from Vatican II. And it's important that to remind, I think sometimes we think, oh, the Church is holy, but her members aren't, or, or the Church is, is holy, you know, sure, maybe, I guess, but we don't really see it. And it the Church isn't, like, idiotic about these things, right? They're not, they're not kind of ignorant of the fact that sin is still existent, in the church, uh, no matter what level we look at, but rather what what the holiness comes from is is that participation in God, right? And and um, it's that ability, as as Pope Saint Paul the Sixth talks about, of being able to radiate the sanctity that comes from the Son of God, who in whose body we are and participate in. That from from that moment and that moment alone can we speak of of a holiness, but we heard kind of a, a little bit of a long quote from St. Therese of Lisieux, which if, you, if you're reading along in the catechism, uh, we, Bill and I joked right before we recorded this that it had every, every little typeface. So it's got a, italics, there's, there's capital letters, there's all of these things. And I told him, I said, I expect you to yell what is in capital letters. And he said no. Um, but basically it says that we have to have a heart burning with love. And that love, in fact, is the vocation which includes all others, it is a universe of its own, comprising all time and space. It's eternal. That that charity of is what we're called to as an entire people of God. That charity is that participation in the life of God who is love. That charity is what drives everything else that we do. And if it's not what drives everything else we do, it's like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, it's nothing but a resounding gong or clashing cymbal. That no matter what else is, if we're not working for the entire good of the person in front of us, it's it's pointless. Everything we do has no, it literally has no point if it is not to fulfill that that perfect love, that vocation that encompasses all others. But it also gives us a chance to extend through time, when the church raises men and women to the and canonizes them as saints. What what we're holding them up of is that their life is is longer than their earthly life. That what they did um, is is still resounding in the life of the church. I always think of uh, of Gladiator, right? What what we do in life echoes for an eternity. And you know, obviously, Gladiator has a pagan uh, you know religiosity, but but it still is true. There's still a truth to that that statement of. What we do now is what goes on later. And it all res- all comes back to, did we love? Did we love well? Did we love totally? Or did we hold back? That's why when the church talks about herself in Lumen Gentium, the last chapter of that document is on the Blessed Virgin Mary, which would be kind of odd, I think, for most of us. At first glance, it kind of seems strange to put a saint, no matter how great, in, in a, a document of how the church views and, and discusses herself. But it also is um, it also is entirely appropriate because she is 
the great model and exemplar of the faith. She is this this perfect image of what the church is meant to be, so totally devoted to the will of God, so totally loving to the point of fruitfulness, even beyond natural means, so perfectly holy, because what her life was directed to was God and God alone. And from that that orientation of the perfect good, the salvation of the world was was brought out from her. From being so in tune with what God desires, greater things than she could have possibly done on her own were found. And that is what we as a church are called to in holiness.